0: one. 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible
1: Study for Thursday, December 15th, 2016. We're rolling right along t- towards the end of the year. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dan.
2: Jacob, great to be with you
1: tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Good to be with you as well and uh, good to be with you on the other end of the line whether you listen to us live or in the podcast. We want to hear from you. Questions at com is the email address to use. You can also uh, sign in with other listeners in the chat room tonight if you're listening to us live or give us a call toll free 877 381 4567. We look forward to
2: hearing from you on the program tonight. Before we can go farther, I I think you're on the same track I was on. I was thinking about uh, giving a little shout out to our daily Bible reading calendar. We've got a new one for 2017. I think, and I know for a fact that some of our listeners have used this Bible reading program. We like it real well. It, it's the thing I really like about it. It it gives you assignments for five days a week. That gives you a couple of days a week to catch up if you get behind. And, uh, get you through the whole Bible. You can read all of the Bible, or you can read just the New Testament assignments, or just the Old Testament assignments. But, uh, uh, we've been doing this, I think, uh, Arthur is, I no, don't see, yeah, Arthur is in the chat room. I think Arthur would tell us that we're just about ready to enter into our 15th year of doing the daily Bible reading program. All right. And, uh, uh, it, it's just very encouraging, and we like we like the layout of it. Uh, it works sort of through in chronological order, both right. Old Testament and New Testament, and uh, uh, it, it's just really a helpful thing. So, if you'd like a hard printed copy of the of the Daily Bible Reading uh, Calendar, send us an email to questions at collegeview dot com, and just tell us uh, give us your snail mail address so we can get it in the U.S. mail. And you got plenty of time to get that before the end of the year, ready to start on January one. Uh actually January 1 is on Sunday so there won't be an assignment on January 1 yep. but there will be an assignment starting on the 2nd uh, but what we have done in recent years and we'll do again Lord willing is we'll have this daily Bible reading calendar on the homepage of our uh, collegeview.com website and so you know if you we want to go there? You'll be able to access that all year long and just go to your assignments uh, on the website.
1: All right. So check it out at the website or, uh, better yet, get a hard copy. Send us an email with your mailing address, questions at collegeview.com, and we'll send you one free of charge in the interest of uh, promoting uh, Bible study, which is what this program is all about. And so we're glad that you've tuned in tonight and we want to uh, have a Bible study on four various questions that you have posed tonight.
2: You know, uh, oftentimes we do listener questions, Jacob, and we ask listeners to send us questions that are of interest to them. These are not from listeners. These are questions that I've the host dreamed questions. up, yeah. questions that I've dealt with in the past and studied in the past and I think are interesting, and sometimes you hear questions along these lines, and so these are four questions of my invention. I'll own up to that right, right at the start. Okay. Uh, let's, let's just get, give a little taste of what we're going to be talking about. First, who is the Antichrist mentioned in 1 John 2, verse 18? Has he come yet? Is he in the world today? Number two, in James 5.14, sick people are to call for the elders, and the elders are to anoint them with oil. Is this a literal means of treating illness? Was it miraculous? Should we be doing this today? All right. Uh, Number three, was the name Christian given by God, or was it a term of derision used by those who were persecuting the early disciples? There's an argument for that. And finally, number four: What is the difference between hell and Hades? Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing. So let's All right. let's jump in, unless we have any other uh, housekeeping. To well, do.
1: there's one item of housekeeping that we haven't taken care of yet, and that is Kyle's behind the board. Kyle's tonight. behind the board. Kyle, uh, last but not least, uh, thanks for being here it's tonight. Always good to be. Yeah, glad that thanks, you here to be here. Thanks, Kyle.
2: All right. All right. Number one: Who is the Antichrist mentioned in First John two and verse eighteen? first uh, John 2 verse 18 says little children it is the last time and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come now if you stop right there mm-hmm. oh that's kind of oh you know wow that's, maybe that could happen uh I'm going to read the rest of that verse in a minute but I wanted to read uh, uh or, or make reference to a book that probably uh, a lot of people heard about back years ago how Lindsay wrote a book called the late great planet earth right and in that he he had a view of end times that he said were going to happen within that current generation Uh, and and in his he he devoted a whole chapter in late great planet earth to the antichrist the coming of the antichrist he believed the antichrist was uh, uh, some individual who would come just before the Lord returned and the great battle of Armageddon was fought, and Jesus set up His earthly kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, of course heavily, heavily loaded with false premillennial notions. But Hal Lindsey wrote that book in 1970, and he said all of that was going to transpire within the current generation. A uh, little problem. Yeah, that's the, gone. The the generate that generation, a, a biblical generation at its uh, probably at its maximum amount of time was 40 years so 40 years have already passed since 1970 and yep. and uh, none of that stuff that hal lindsey was talking about has come to pass which should prove him a false prophet but i think you know people are still not willing to label it as such what about the antichrist the antichrist only mentioned by john in first and second john he's mentioned five times in four verses I gave you the verses, 1 John 2, 18, 1 John two twenty two, First 1 John 4, verse 3, and 2 John, verse 9. Okay. But now go back. I don't understand why this is a problem for people to understand this. If you go back and read the whole verse, 1 John 2, 18, it's the first reference to the Antichrist. Little children is the last t- a time. Uh, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. But then read the rest. Even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Yeah. you know. So to be waiting for some specific individual, uh, when John acknowledged, John's the only one ever, ever talked about the antichrist, and he acknowledged there were already many antichrists in the world. Uh, you know, in literal in literal definition, antichrist would be someone against Christ. Well, there were there were many people against Christ in that time. There are yeah. many people against Christ in our time. To yeah. be antichrist is just means to be against Christ, and there always have been plenty of people that would fit that bill.
1: Yeah. And so you would think that you'd find some passage though that this idea of the antichrist coming that you're looking for this figure that's going to come that'll sort of tip you off that the end is here. You would think that there would be some passage that says that this is the only passage that talks about it being the last hour and doesn't even reference the fact that this is your sign. Yeah, uh, This this figure is a
2: sign that the end is near. And then if you read the other verses, John actually de- he defines it. Defines it in 1 John two twenty who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Okay? That's there's all. your definition. There's your definition. I uh, uh, 1 John 4, verse 3, a little more definition. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. It's a it's a spirit of denial, a spirit of refusing to accept that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And there's not just one person that does that, but many. There were many then, and there are still many today. Yeah. And then the last reference, Second John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Again, to deny Christ, to be against Christ, uh, is antichrist. Uh, so, there's not one specific person. I think that's yeah. clear. Uh, the Bible certainly doesn't lend to all the mystery or hocus pocus of, of some of these premillennialists who want to suggest, you know, this this. Evil personage will show up you know in the last days just before the Lord returns, just before the great battle of Armageddon you know and you know people have been identified different people in in our time have been identified maybe he 's the Antichrist you know. Well, there I'd say there are a lot of antichrists in the world today, yeah. people who deny Jesus.
1: All right, 877-381-4567. Questions dot com. The chat room is wide open, but silent as a tomb right now. We'll get to that tomb idea here later on in the program, but
2: uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, we got a couple of emails in, Jacob. Uh, uh, one is from Kent in Georgia who says the term antichrist used here suggest over, against, or opposed to. That's what anti means. So an antichrist is one who is over or against or opposed to Christ. Regarding the signs concerning the destruction of Jerusalem in eighty seventy, our Lord stated, For many will come in my name saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many, Matthew twenty four five. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible they may deceive the very elect. This is not an endorsement of the false system of premillennialism, but rather a description of that which would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. It is also the case that throughout the New Testament age there will be those who oppose or are against Christ. This is speaking about a movement or various movements who are opposed to or against Christ. All opposing sound doctrine are against Christ. And so Kent agrees is not talking about a specific individual. There were Antichrist in the first century, and there are antichrists in this century.
1: John says that Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Jeff, sorry, Jeff says uh, first uh, the antichrist is not a he; it is a they. An antichrist is anyone who is against Christ. John even says the passage in the passage mentioned that there were antichrists in the world. Who, when he wrote the epistle, uh, and a couple verses down in verse twenty-two, he defines exactly what an antichrist is. Exactly right.
2: God, you know, I have, That's always befuddled me. Why people have have this uh, mysterious notion of the Antichrist, and and are as though they're never he hasn't come yet. We're we're looking for him. We're scared that he might show up. You know, uh, I just don't. I mean, take the verses. The verses explain it thoroughly. I don't see how. I don't see how there could be any doubt about that at all. Well, it does make for a good story. And he yeah. does probably sell a lot of books. I suppose Hal Lindsey made a fortune uh, on his book, Late Great Planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, I think he should be sh- thoroughly discredited as, as a, you know, a false teacher, but I don't think that's ever happened to him. All right. It's, uh, I don't know if he's still living or not. He may be. Do you know? I
1: don't believe he is. I, I don't believe he is. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow. Um, Let's uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, uh, another passage that uh, causes oh, well some concern and confusion. James five fourteen. If anyone among you sick, let him call upon the elders to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, Boy, that God. is a
2: passage. Well, there's a lot of differing opinions, and we've got a couple of different opinions. We're going to talk about them, and and I, I've got it. I've got. I think I've got a. a uh, an explanation that works, but there there may be others, and we'll talk about that.
1: I knew someone uh, in years past who took it literally. Had a mother that was sick, and she was uh, putting the oil on her. Was,
2: was she an elder? She was not an elder. Well, then she wasn't doing it. She wasn't doing what well, the pastor she said. was. She well,
1: she thought it would work, and I, I don't think it did. But
2: um, well, it's because she didn't call for the elders. If it's going to if you're going to do it, you got to do it
1: do the, way it the it right way. Well, okay,
2: we'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go
1: anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this.
0: Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this.
1: I'm Trent Haynes, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual Bible study. Every Thursday, shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it.
2: Here's some quotes worth pondering. The person who is pulling the oars usually doesn't have time to rock the boat. When men speak evil of you, live so that no one will believe them. Man, wish I'd said that.
0: Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program
1: tonight, and uh, we appreciate you listening. Philip in the chat room has some great uh, great comment here. He says, great thoughts and and verses on the Antichrist. The Bible is its own best commentary and tells us of certain things, including the Antichrist, and defines what these things are. And it is so sad that many miss the obvious, but shows us how much error is being taught out there. Good comment from Philip. That the Bible is its own best commentary. Yeah. Let the Bible define its terms.
2: I guess I guess it's just sort of a, a reality check: how easy it is to get people worked up and led astray. If you could be led astray on the Antichrist, then when, as Philip says, it's just so obvious. If you could be, if, and lots of people are led astray on the Antichrist thing. If, if that, if, if that, that just tells us how. The shape the religious check. world is. yeah A reality check. Thank you for those comments tonight, Philip. All right. All right. Let's go to the the question of of the anointing with oil. Everybody, you're going to have to get your Bibles open now and follow along with us on this. In James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Let's read the context all the way through. All right. Is it, Starting verse 13. Is any... Among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing songs. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. All right it goes on to say confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much mm-hmm. okay all right so let's talk about that for a minute first of all uh, let's take one view I, I i want to give kent's view uh, uh a a hearing uh because it is it is a, a, an explanation of the passage and, and, it's, and I, it's, it's 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 feasible it's there
1: workable are, there are two different views and this is maybe a subset of that of that other of that one of that one view that 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 We'll read it, and we'll we'll talk about it.
2: Okay, so Kent says, The anointing of the sick with oil in James 5.14 points to a symbolic act and thus served as a token of the power of God by which the healing was accomplished. The case being that individuals were to send for the elders rather than doctors points toward that of a miraculous healing. Those elders of local New Testament churches obviously were among those who were miraculously gifted as per 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9 who as servants of Christ could perform such miracles to confirm the word of God as being true. Such miraculous gifts were temporary and ceased upon the close of the Apostolic Age, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Okay. Interesting. So, so Kent takes it that it was a physical healing, right? But in and but it was miraculously performed. The oil was just a symbolic part of the miraculous healing that was accomplished by Elders who were gifted of the Holy Spirit to perform miraculous gifts of healing.
1: All right. So that's a, so Kent would say, yes, it was a physical healing, but it was limited to the first century when those miraculous gifts were, right.
2: were, were right. being given. Now, uh, and I, I, I think this is a uh, an explanation that's often offered in the text. Uh, it's not the view I take. I don't, want, I don't want to discredit Kent here, but it's not the view I take. And one of my problems with this view is that it supposes that all elders of all New Testament congregations possessed the miraculous power of healing. I don't know that any did. I would. I, I, it would not surprise me that there were elders who had such powers because we know that Christians in the New Testament era received the laying on of the apostles hands and and different Christians had diff, uh, had gifts of the spirit they they were they varied there were a number of different gifts of the holy spirit the position that Kent has espoused assumes that elders of all New Testament congregations had this specific power we don't know that any had. They very well could have, and very likely some did have. But we don't know that any had, let alone that they all had. And and the position would require that all elders in New Testament churches had such power. And I just I would come way short of being able to establish that from the scripture.
1: Another point I would make is it would also uh, assume that the purpose of miracles in this first century was to heal the sickness. Well, but Kent
2: mentions that it would be a sort of that sign. confirming... Uh, okay, uh, okay,
1: which it could be. But it, what we know it wasn't in general just that purpose, because we know Paul didn't heal even everybody. his own thorn in the flesh. And, and, and it wasn't Paul,
2: he, And Paul didn't even heal some of his own co-workers.
1: It wasn't the prescription he gave Timothy for his stomach's uh, ailments yep. uh, in 1 Timothy 5. So he, we didn't tell Timothy to call the elders. So it you could see some evidence leaning you away from the idea that it was uh, uh, physical healing.
2: Okay, and so that's the position I take. certainly
1: could be a plausible
2: explanation. It's possible, it's possible. but I think maybe a, a, a more workable explanation is that it wasn't talking about physical sickness. It was talking about spiritual sickness. I want to read Jeff's email. Jeff says, while it's true that in some cultures some oils were used for some ailments, and to some extent oils are used in this country today. However, the sickness James was referring to was spiritual sickness, not physical. If one had sin in their life, they could go before the elders for their prayers and guidance to help find the strength to overcome and repent of their sins. This doesn't mean that those with physical sicknesses can't be prayed for as well. It's a perfectly righteous thing to do to ask God to help others recover from illnesses and such. I'm on the same track as Jeff there. uh, and, And let me tell you why. Go back to if you if you all got your Bibles open. Go back again and look at the t- context first. The context is suggesting activities that are spiritual in, in nature. Notice: Is any of, among you afflicted? Let him pray. The word "afflicted" uh, it's only used three other places in the New Testament: Second Timothy two three and nine, and Second Timothy four verse five. And in those places, it. The word "afflicted" suggests suffering hardship. So I think James is, is is addressing those who are being persecuted, perhaps who are suffering hardship for the cause of Christ. Uh, and his instruction is pr- endure, th- endure endure that. Pray about it. Okay. No. Then that's contrasted. The afflicted. If you're afflicted, pray. the The contrast to that is if you're merry, sing psalms. The the expression is any merry literally is the soul is well. Any of you whose soul is well, what do you do when your soul is well? Well, you sing psalms. And so if you're afflicted, pray. If you're merry or if things are going well. So if you're if things are not going well for you, pray about that. If things are going well for you, sing psalms of praise to God. I think it's suggesting spiritual activities. All right. Now, skip over verses 14 and 15, put a hold on those, because those are the ones we want to understand better. But go to verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. <coughs> Again, that's spiritual in nature. That's, right. that's not talking about a physical problem. Yeah. So I think the context, both before the verses in question and after the verses in question, the context is of spiritual activities, things in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Now, look at the the results that are promised. In verse 15, uh, we're still considering that, but in the first part of verse 15. But the last part of verse 15 says that part of the result that was to be obtained was if they have sinned, if they have committed sin, they shall be forgiven. That's spiritual for sure. That is. So you're going to call for the elders, and, and certainly one of the definite results will be a spiritual result. Well, you know, that makes you think. It says if they have sinned, well, why would you call for the elders? Well, maybe I'm just feeling really weak and uh, under trial. I'm not strong. I feel like I could fall. I haven't sinned yet, but I want to call for the elders to get their strength. And if it has already progressed to the point of sin, then those sins will be forgiven. I think it's talking about spiritual things. Uh, the The healing has to do with verse sixteen the the faults that have been confessed and the ones that they have and the and the faults that have been prayed for. Okay. Uh, and the promise is our prayers will avail much. Yep. So uh, I, I think, again, the context of these statements has to do with spiritual things, not physical ones. Okay. Now, now look at the verses specifically that are sort of the point of, of contention. Uh, verse Verses 14 and 15, let's read those again. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him." Right now, look at those verses. First of all, the word "sickness" there uh, is a word is a Greek word found eighty-five times in the New Testament. um, Most of the times in the epistles, and every place where it's used, with the the possible exception of here, every place that it's used is talking about a spiritual condition. Uh, For instance, in Romans fourteen, the first verses where it talks about the weak brother, that's the word. That's the same word. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, other plenty of places. In in Hebrews 4, verse 15, it's called an infirmity. So that's
1: that's the word that's translated sick here. here.
2: Yeah. In other places, it's translated weak, and it's a clear reference to their spiritual condition. Okay. All right? Uh, Secondly... The the work of elders is a spiritual work. Right. They're, they're spiritual shepherds. They watch for our souls. They rule over the church. They admonish those who are unruly. I can't find another single place in all of the New Testament that assigns elders physical work, uh, work relative to the physical condition of a person. Mm-hmm. Their work is, is, is defined as a spiritual work. Um. Uh, the elders are to be called. They're to go. They're to anoint with oil. Now, what about anointing with oil? Found six ways that anointing with oil is used in the New Testament. Some, a lot of them, in the Old Testament. In First Samuel sixteen, you used oil to anoint someone to a high office. In First Kings seventeen, they did use oil to make bread. They right. used it in in the baking process. Psalm 104 verse 15 it was a cosmetic for the face you put it on your face to, to for as a cosmetic yeah, okay Exodus 27:20 it was used as uh, to make light in lamps in Luke chapter 10 verse 34 good samaritan what did he do he poured, poured in, oil. in oil and wine mm-hmm. into the into the wounded man's wound so it was used as a healing compound sometimes in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, it speaks of it as a symbol of spiritual blessings. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, a symbol of spiritual blessings. So, uh, again, uh, the anointing with oil s- sometimes was... Used in a literal sense, but sometimes it was used in a figurative or spiritual sense, especially the idea of anointing someone to a high office, for instance. Okay. Uh, so, uh, all I think all of this I I would argue can certainly be pointing us in the direction that the elders were to be called for someone who was spiritually sick, not physically sick. They maybe hadn't sinned yet. Verse uh, sixteen. Uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, verse fifteen suggests you know if they have sinned, if this spiritual weakness then that has progressed so far to the point that they have already sinned, then calling for the elders, the elders coming uh, 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 anointing them in oil in the sense of using it in that s- symbolic spiritual sense. Then, and the promise is, but notice, I think maybe the most com- compelling argument of all is that the healing was guaranteed 100% success rate. Always successful, no failures. Yeah, read it, verse 15. Yeah, verse 15 says, uh, the, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Uh, you know uh, the the fact of the matter is that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Jacob. Some in the New Testament were not healed of of sicknesses. Paul left Trophimus sick in Second Timothy four verse twenty. Paul himself had the thorn in the flesh and, and was sick.
1: And did did he not pray in faith? Yeah. Well, you know, did that save
2: him as far as his his physical illness? Well, yeah. Didn't do that. Now. You know, uh, I, I think the quibble that, that would be offered from those who say it was talking about miraculous healing, mirac- miraculous healings when affected always worked. You know, the, people with miracle power who did miracles didn't fail in the miracles yep. they performed. I guess that argument be That could would be, be an innate. argument, yeah. But uh, I right. believe that this passage, no, in other words, if you take the position it was miraculous healings, then it really isn't applicable to us. And the elders should not be called because they couldn't do this today if they wanted to because nobody has miracle working power. But I think I think elders today still should be called in the in the gist of what is being taught here because I think it's and talking that, about people with spiritual sickness, spiritual weakness, and needing and wanting help.
1: And they ought to be anointing with oil
2: in the name of the and Lord. And it will work. It, will, it will always work. work. It always work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So right. um, my position I, again, I, I uh, with all. With respect to Kent's position, I, and, and it, is a, it is a position that's often uh, offered in explanation of this somewhat difficult text, but I think the context of this uh, bears out that that it's talking about spiritual condition, not physical condition.
1: Jeff in the chat room says, uh, those in high office like Saul and David who were anointed by Samuel, for example,
2: were anointed with oil. And that's uh, exactly exactly right. a good observation. Thank you for that, that's Jeff. Exactly right. But there again, it's the idea of a, a symbolic act to accomplish a purpose, and not a not a literal healing application of oil. All right. Well, that's a good, uh, good way
1: to end the first half of our program and get to our bullet point for the week. And when we get back, two more challenging questions. The next one we want to talk about is the name Christian. You know, there's an argument that that name was used in derision. It's interesting, it's only used three times in the New Testament. And, uh, well, can we look at that and say, well, they were making fun of people who were following Christ in all three of those times? And uh, maybe that was the case. What do you think? Uh, or was that a name that was uh, given by God? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we'll get your thoughts on the other side of this bullet point. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
0: Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial.
2: This is Greg Gwen with this week's Bullet Point. We continue to hear folks misuse religious terminology This happens frequently in regards to the various titles that define the roles of individuals. Here's a simple grouping of some terms that are synonymous. Christian, disciple, servant of the Lord, child of God, saint. Note that the term saint applies to all baptized believers, Philippians 1 verse 1, not to a special select few who have had special honors conferred upon them. Other synonymous terms, elders, pastors, bishops, overseers, shepherds. Note that these are always mentioned in the plural, The term pastor has been misapplied by many people and is wrongly used as a synonym for preacher. The term bishop has been perverted through the centuries to mean someone high up in a universal church organization. No such organizational structure or office is authorized in the Bible. There are to be elders in every church. Acts 14, verse 23. Again, preacher, evangelist. Observe that the preacher may be an elder, 1 Peter 5, verse 1, and thus might be a pastor, but in most instances this is not true, and the terms are absolutely not synonymous. The preacher is often referred to as a minister. This is not really inaccurate, for all Christians are to be ministers, literally meaning one who acts as an agent or an instrument of another but to use the term minister exclusively for the preacher leaves a potential for misunderstanding. We should stress that the New Testament teaches no clergy-laity distinction. It is very important to point out that the term reverend is found only once in the Bible, Psalms 111, verse 9, and is applied only to God, not to any man. Let's be careful to use Bible terms in Bible ways. Accurate use of these Bible words shows that we are rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think?
0: Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Well, we're back
1: on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you've never been there, maybe you're catching us on iTunes, If you've never been out to the website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com is where you go. Find out more about us uh, and more about the College U Church of Christ and where you find out how to come and visit with us if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We'd love to meet you. The study.com, Questions at CollegeView.com is the email address to use to get your free Bible reading calendar for 2017. Get in line now and get yours before the calendar rolls over to 2017 so you're ready to start fresh in January. We're talking about challenging and concerning questions on the
2: program tonight. We've gotten two down, two to go. Right, we already talked about the Antichrist. We talked about calling for the elders to anoint with oil. Let's go to question three. Question three was: uh, Was the name Christian given by God, or was it a term of derision used by those who were persecuting early Christians? Okay. Well, uh, let's look at a let's let's look at our emails to get us started into this discussion. Kent says. Regarding Acts 11, verse 26. Acts 11, verse 26 says the disciples were called Christians first at first Antioch. Antioch. It says, at first, uh, first or excuse me, Acts eleven twenty six, 26, uh, the, the disciples being called Christians, the phrase, and he gives the Greek word krematiso, krim, krematiso, I can't say that, krematiso, uh, the, the word is were called and necessitates that that was a divine call. There are eight times where the where that word is used in the New Testament. In every instance, the term is used as a divine utterance. Uh, it thus was an inspiration of God that the disciples were called Christians. I agree with Kent, but I think it's interesting, and I think that's one of the great great arguments. The word's only used eight times. This word that's- called or were called. Okay. Uh, it is always used in reference to a divine announcement a god a god-given pronouncement
1: yeah and uh and so that that ter- that that's a good argument to make there and um the the term christian though only appears three times yeah acts 11:26 Acts twenty six twenty eight Acts twenty six twenty eight 28. Paul said before Agrippa, we remember that, Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. So, so there's
2: two times in Acts. One time in Acts 11, the disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. 26, what verse was it? 28. 20, 26, chapter 26, verse 28. 28. Mm-hmm. Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And then 1 Peter, what is it? Uh, First Peter 4, verse 16. Yes. Verse 15 says, "If uh, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God on this behalf.
1: Okay, so the argument is that uh, you're suffering as a Christian because they're making fun of you, that they're making fun of you as a Christian, that Agrippa was making fun of Paul, you almost made me be a Christian, and then in Acts chapter 11, they, that's the first place that they ever came up with this term of derision was in uh, in Antioch, and they started calling now, them Christians there. Jeff
2: says Jeff, in his email to us, says he thinks it comes from both directions. God gave the name. He references Isaiah 62 that we want to look at in a minute. He says the first use of it was done as a term of derision to the followers of Christ in Acts 11, verse 26. Now, now I don't see that in Acts 11, verse 26. I don't see that... There, you know, it just makes a statement. the The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, and and he says that's it was done in derision. But it, there's no indication. You'd have in to that. read
1: into the context that yeah. it was the non Christians who were calling them that. And that doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Yeah, uh, you you could look at Kent's argument that that
2: term indicates a holy calling were or divine called. calling. Yeah, the word called. Let, let, let's go through some arguments. First of all. And again, I'm taking the position it was a God-given name. Although, I, I had a quote here. Here's a quote from a guy at Auburn University named Mark Matt Madison. He says, surprisingly, the word Christian appears only three times in the New Testament. The New Testament's use of the term indicates that it was a term of derision, a term placed on Christ's followers by their critics. Christian was not so much a name that they chose as a name that was applied to them. They were called Christians. Uh, this is consistent with our observation that it was a term placed upon them by hostile critics. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. I just disagree with that. Okay. And let's explain why. Let's, first of all, let's go to the Isaiah prophesied that God was going to give a new everlasting name to his people. Isaiah chapter 2, verse, oh, excuse me. Isaiah chapter sixty-five. If you're taking notes, make sure you get that right. Isaiah sixty-five verse two: "I have spread out my hands on; uh, on I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts." So God, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, is condemning his chosen people of that time. He said, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and they just keep rebelling against me again and again and again. Skip down to verse 15. Therefore I will number you to the sword and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter because when I called you did not answer. When I spake you did not hear but did evil before my eyes and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Now look, he's going to say in verse 15, the Lord shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. Mm-hmm. So basically, Isaiah chapter 65, beginning verse 2 and running down through verse 15, describes God's giving up on the children of Israel, basically. He tried and tried and tried, and they'd been rebellious over and over and over again. And he, and he says, I'm going to send judgment on you, but I'm going to call my servants by a different name. God's going to give a new name, uh, uh, so and then, in, uh, back up to chapter sixty-two. So that was in chapter sixty-five. In chapter sixty-two, verse one, for Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteous thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth, and the Gentiles shall see my righteousness, and all the kings, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Yeah. So there's, there's the verse that most people point to. Isaiah 62, verse 2. Thou shalt be called by a new name. And where's the name going to come from? A new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Mm-hmm. A new name was going to be given. So Isaiah clearly, I think, prophesied of a new name to be given in chapter 65 and also in chapter 62. Now, an interesting
1: uh, observation there from chapter 62 is that it was linked with the calling of the Gentiles, and we can also link that over uh, to uh, what's happening
2: in in Acts. Yeah, so uh, when when did that new name come in Acts? Think about that. It didn't come initially. It didn't come at the start when the gospel was only going to the Jews. But in Acts chapter 10 case of cornelius the gospel started going to the gentiles and then in chapter 11 the Call disciples were name. called christians a new name that right. fits that all fits doesn't okay. it yeah all right uh, also again as kent mentioned that expression were called be we called uh i think kent said he found eight times i found nine times where the term was used in the new testament always talking about a calling by god uh, I think that's a strong argument as okay. well. Okay. Uh, uh, and then one of the verses where it's used in in First Peter chapter four, where we read, "Let none of you suffer as a murderer." Or this is First Peter four fifteen and sixteen. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evil doer, or as a busybody in other men's matter. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Why would Peter encourage disciples to glorify God by wearing a name that was a a, a taunt or a, a given by their critics, as that one man said? Uh, you know, uh, maybe he's saying glorify God by enduring the suffering. I suppose that would be the explanation. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think Peter says glorify God. Wear the name that He gave you basically as an explanation yeah, there
1: okay uh, just from a uh, just from a uh, couple of practical observations what's derogatory about the name Christian it just means follower of Christ what would or be der- like Christ Christ what, what would be derogatory in that? Now I can see something like you, you, you big goofballs, or the disciples were called goofballs first in Antioch, or they were called a bunch of they were called a bunch of
2: morons, you yeah. know, in in Antioch. No,
1: but there, there's nothing derogatory. But, to say uh, but like, you, hey. you know, they
2: did throw around some derogatory terms in Acts chapter 24, verse five, uh, when they arrested Paul in Jerusalem. We have found this fellow a pestilent fellow. And a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now that was a put. Yeah. yeah. And then later in verse fourteen, I Paul confess unto thee that after the way that they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all the things that are written in the Law and the Prophets. Paul. So they did identify these people as heretics. They called them a sect. They did use derogatory terms, but in, in in the three instances where the word is found in the New Testament, there's nothing in the context that was that would indicate it as be, being derogatory, yeah, right?
1: And uh, another observation would be what would be noteworthy about this if it was a derogatory term? Why note in in Acts chapter 11 that uh, the disciples were called Christians first and It could be like you know taking your kids back to your hometown where you grew up and you drive by the by the playground and you say. And kids, that swing set over right over there, right there, was the first time they ever called me a nerd. <laughs> What's noteworthy about that? Why document that? Uh, if that was the, if that was the case, I don't know.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul encouraged disciples to wear the name of Christ. Uh, he, in First Corinthians chapter one verse twelve, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, you know, basically saying, don't call yourselves after me or any of these men. Call yourself after Christ, because he's the one who was crucified for you, and it was in his name that you were baptized. He was actually encouraging them to wear the name of Christ and not some other name. Yeah. And then finally, uh, it, James spoke of the worthy name by which you were called James chapter 2 verse 7 now it doesn't use the word christian James chapter 2 verse 7 king james version says do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called in other words these these critics or these skeptics these persecutors they blaspheme they blaspheme what the worthy name by which you are mm-hmm. called the new american standard version says do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called the Revised Standard Version says, is, is it not they who blaspheme that honorable name which was invoked over you? Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, captures the idea of that expression, we're called. It was a God-given designation. Yep. Uh, I think uh, for all those reasons, then... I would I would say no. The name Christian is the, the new name that God promised by the prophet Isaiah.
1: All right. Uh, in the chat room, Jeff says it was just, he's commenting about his question or his answer to the question. It was just my understanding. Granted, I have a bad habit of getting things confused sometimes that the term Christian was used as a term of derision and Christians just accepted the name as it was accurate. However, I can see your explanation of the passage in Acts is more plausible. So thank okay. you for that comment. Thanks and Jeff. for studying along Thanks, with Jeff. us tonight, Jeff. Uh, it's time for our last break when we get back. The difference between hell and Hades. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible doesn't help us any with this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the difference between hell and Hades and help us get a better understanding of existence after death. Let us know your thoughts uh, on, on that subject and get ready for uh exciting discussion right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
2: Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there.
1: Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ.
2: We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. According to a recent survey, 51% of Americans said the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. Only 47% of Americans said the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. 44% said the Bible contains helpful myths, but isn't literally true. That information is via Lifeway Research. The Word of God says in 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works.
0: Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight uh, talking
1: about uh, concerning and uh, challenging questions and confusing questions on the program tonight. Uh, Kyle's behind the board. He's pulling double duty. He's doing uh, his board work and he's also got some comments. Kyle. I was just going to make a,
0: just a final last note about uh, being a Christian. I guess I had the list of uh, several references, extra biblical references from classical works. I mean, it's uh, Tacitus. He just noted in his annals about uh, being Christians and in uh, uh, Josephus. And none of these are talking about uh, derisions. It's a label. It's. Uh, it is the name of uh, followers of Christ. It's talking about uh, just just their label.
2: So even those secular sources didn't use it in in a in a, in a put down sort of fashion. Absolutely, they just identified them with that yeah. name. Okay, good.
1: Philip in the chat room says, "While I agree with your explanation of the term Christian, there are those in the world such as atheist and humanist who look down upon those who have faith in some religion such as Christianity." We live in a land where some college professors will openly ridicule those of faith, and certainly we do. It certainly I, and I would say Christians weren't immune to deri- uh, terms of derision, it, it, as it's, you noted it, there. That's
2: right. And it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not saying that someone wouldn't have said back then, or even saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah he's a Christian. You know, We hear yeah. that kind of expression now. And and people, sometimes people do mean it as a put-down. But the question is, where did the name come from? And we believe it was a God-given name. Now, could people sarcastically use that name to ridicule someone yeah they did then and i think they do now but that but the the point of it is that the name originated with god okay
1: Okay. all right eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven toll free if you'd like to comment tonight one more
2: question to go okay what's the difference between hell and hades a lot of times you you i think people uh sort of use those terms interchangeably right and as you said the king james bible is just really bad on this you know a lot of people there, there are there are some people in the denominational world who think that the king james we we talk to people who are king james only people They think king james was a inspired translation an inspired english translation of the bible and i think it clearly it was not because there's there's mistakes in the king james bible uh and one of the real i think one of probably the worst topics uh where the king james translators failed was in this business of hades and hell uh for instance, when in the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, he said, verse 25 and following, David speaketh concerning him, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Later down in verse 31, His soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Jesus didn't go to hell. He didn't go to Gehenna. He went to Hades, yeah, and, and that should be Hades in both of those that's places. That's from the text, the Greek text. It's the word Hades, yeah. not uh, Gehenna. Yeah. Uh, remember, we know where Jesus went when he died. He went to paradise in Acts chapter, tw- or excuse me, in Luke twenty three forty three. He said to the thief on the cross, "This day shalt thou be with me in paradise." We know Jesus didn't go to Gehenna hell. That's the word for the place of eternal torment. You couldn't call that paradise by any stretch of the word. Yeah, he went. Jesus went to Hades. Yep. Hades is the realm of departed spirits. Uh, uh, it's the, the the Old Testament equivalent is the word Sheol. But within Hades, Hades is the place of departed spirits. When you die and your spirit departs your body, which is the biblical definition of death, the spirit departs the body. Where does your spirit go? The body goes back to the earth and decomposes into the elements of the earth. The spirit goes to Hades to await the final resurrection. And in the final resurrection, all the dead will be raised. John chapter 5 says, all the dead will be raised. And so the spirits will be reunited and the bodies will be changed. But while, this, while we're waiting for that, the spirits are in Hades. Well, yeah. the spirits await the resurrection in Hades, there are two places. There's uh, Luke 16 is the best picture of this, this. The the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We won't we don't have time, but to read all that. But you remember two places in in Hades. A place of comfort called pa- a paradise or Abraham's bosom. In Luke 16, it's called Abraham's bosom. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man went to a place of torment. And there was a gulf fixed in between; they couldn't pass over, they couldn't go back and forth. But they were both in Hades. Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom; the rich man was in torment. They were both in Hades, the realm of departed spirits. Yep. And so often, uh, the confusion is caused uh, because the King James translators didn't do a good job of that. Uh, in Acts, or excuse me, Revelation chapter twenty. Yep. In the end. Uh, you talked well, about the the, the the spirits being brought out of Hades. That's yeah. the, defi- the, the, the uh, explanation of that in Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20 uh is talking about the judgment scene. It says the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and, King James says hell, it should should be Hades. The Greek is Hades. Death and Hades. No, in other words, the spirits, where they were waiting, death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every man according to his works, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. There's not going to be any more Hades after the final judgment. There's not going judgment. to
1: be any more physical death either. Yeah, exactly done right. away with.
2: Yeah. Uh, so Hades is that realm of departed spirits uh, and you gotta be really careful in the King James because it will, it will mislead you on that really badly. Okay. Uh, the, the King James, the word hell is found 23 times. In, in the King James translation, the word hell is found 23 times, but there are actually three different words that the King James translator all translated as hell and they shouldn't have done it. One is Hades, as we were just talking. Another is Tartarus that's only found once in the new testament and it and it's a reference to the part of hades where evil beings go to await their final eternal punishment that word is found in second peter 2 verse 4 god spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to king james says hell but they weren't it wasn't hell it's tartarus it would be better translated he cast them down into torment Delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. The New American Standard says the Lord knows how to in verse nine, Second Peter two, verse nine, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And so Tartarus King James translates it there in Second Peter two verse four as hell, but it should have been translated as torment. It's the torment part of Hades. And the king james translators did another bad there by calling it hell but then the 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 third word so there's three words in the greek that the king james translators just all lumped into the word hell and they shouldn't have done it there's hades we know what hades is tartarus is the torment part of hades it's only found once in the new testament the other word is gehenna and that's the 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 greek Transliteration of the Hebrew expression "the Valley of Hinnom," or Valley of Hinnom, uh, and uh, that's the place where, in the Old Testament, the pagans sacrificed their children to their pagan gods. Uh, it became a trash dump, a kind of a continually burning trash dump on the outskirts of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. And Gehenna is the translation, is the uh, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew, which was Valley of Hinnom, but it refers to eternal eternal torment. Uh, uh, in in John chapter five verse twenty eight, marvel not at this; the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That eternal damnation will be in Gehenna. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, hell, in hell. That's yeah. the right translation. That should be hell. Uh, God can destroy fear God. He can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Uh, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-one. Uh no, excuse me, I don't I don't want that verse. Uh so uh one more place where the Gehenna is found mark nine verses forty three If thy hand offend thee cut it off, it's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell that 's Gehenna that 's right that should be hell uh, better to have to go through life maimed than having two hands to go to Gehenna hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Uh, So Gehenna is the final abode of the resurrected bodies and souls of the wicked, which will last forever. It's eternal hell, Gehenna. So there's three words in the Greek. The King James translators translated all three words as hell and should have only translated one of them as hell, uh, Gehenna.
1: All right, Jeff in his uh, email says, in the King James Version, hell is how they translated the word Hades and also Gehenna. A valley around Jerusalem used for burning waste, and prior to that was used to sacrifice children in fire to Molech and Sheol, the Hebrew grave. However, Hades is uh, a name used for the entire realm of the dead and consists both of paradise, Abraham's bosom, and torments, Luke 16, 19-31. And is the place Christ went to in between his death and resurrection, Acts right. 2, right. 27 right. Through, uh, through 31. Hell, generally speaking, is where Satan and all the unrighteous go for eternal condemnation. Thank you for that uh, tonight, uh, Jeff. Appreciate your comments. And then Kent says that the King James translators did not make any distinction between Hades and Gehenna. Uh, Hades speaks with reference to the intermediate state of the dead, Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one. Whereas Gehenna is used regarding that of eternal punishment, Matthew twenty five twenty nine and through thirty. Many times in our today, many times in our day, the term hell is used generically for both the intermediate state of, of death and eternal punishment.
2: Yeah, but we need. To, but if we're going to understand where we go when we die, we need to make that distinction. Right? We do. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we got that. We got it. We got
1: through the questions too, and just in the nick of time. Yeah. Um, well, you got to pose the
2: questions this week. Why yeah, these were her... my these were my questions, so let's get some listener questions. You pose
1: the questions next week, listeners, and we'll uh, look forward to hearing from you with your suggestions for topics, suggestions for questions you'd like to have discussed and uh, answered in this format. Um, a good discussion tonight, Dad. Some very Thanks. important questions. Thanks. And, uh, Kyle, thank you for being here. It's always good to be here. Excellent thank work you, tonight, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.